Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Benjamin Schwartz, producer for the show, filling in for Christy Jansen on this 4th of July weekend. I'm in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit think tank and action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and helping business leaders take greater responsibility for the community and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on July 4th, 2020. Happy Independence Day, everyone, and let's get right into it. Ronaldo, this hasn't seemed like a holiday week. It's been jam-packed with news and legislation. So what do you think is a good place to start? Well, I'd like to start with uh, a couple of things that are really, I think, critical. First of all, I want to I salute the Business Roundtable. For those of you who don't recall, we've covered them before on the show where, uh, as you recall, a few months ago, they came out with a statement uh, endorsing what's called stakeholder capitalism, which is the idea that uh, you represent all the interests of all of your stakeholders, not just your share owners. So the stakeholders would be your employees, your customers, your vendors, uh, the communities you serve. Well, that was a great statement, and it reversed uh, basically the economic theory on which business operated since 1970, which was that you are a product of the demand to make more and more profits for shareholders. And that's the only legitimate purpose business had. And that, of course, was flawed. It was a Chicago school uh, theory. Uh, it never made sense. And finally, it's been rejected by the Business Roundtable, which is 186 of the largest CEOs in the country. According to Josh Bolton in a news conference on Friday, the average number of employees in those 186 companies is 100,000 employees per company. Wow, that's really significant. Yes, yeah. And so, so it was, and it's very famous, the Business Roundtable. It's the top CEOs in America. And um, that's what they did a few months ago, which was really stunning because it was showing that they were showing new levels of corporate responsibility that never before had been seen. Well, on Thursday, they went one step better. Uh, they actually came out with a statement, again signed by 186 CEOs on behalf of the Business Roundtable, that basically said the American business community is telling Congress, get off of it and fix police reform and do it now. They saw it bogging down in the Senate, and they said, we can't have that. Uh, and I think it's really important for a couple of reasons that we observe this. So on Thursday, they put out the statement, we're not waiting for Congress to continue diddly. We're telling you, Congress, as the business community, we want this fixed. We cannot conduct business commerce in the United States if there's 50 of our cities that are basically on fire or where there are riots. So the business community for, per, I mean, purely self-interest is saying, we got to settle things down or we're going to be destroying our business markets. That's part one. So it's really important that the business community is smart enough to understand that because the political leadership is not, apparently. Well, on top of that, this next thing that they did on Thursday is they with this police reform thing last Thursday, and then in a press review, um, he was on camera being interviewed about it, Josh Bolton, the CEO of the Business Roundtable, basically said that the action they took to demand police reform was a fun direct function of the fact their employees were demanding they take action and their customers were demanding they take action. So we've often advocated, as you know, since 1986 at the Business Academy, our job in, in the Business Academy is to share the vision, build a network, heal the planet. That's what we do. And what the business community has been finally willing to do is step up and say, you know, the political leadership is so broken right now. We can no longer sit by letting the politicians do what they're doing because they're not only are they killing us, and I'll get to the pandemic in a moment, they're destroying the economy. And on top of that, we'll always have civil disturbance if we don't do police reform. So it's not optional. 
go do it, Congress, were the business community telling you with one voice. Very powerful. I think of all the issues that the roundtable could have tackled in order to demonstrate social responsibility, tackling police reform is the toughest because that's the one with the most political uh, danger associated with it. Right. So you now have the people who are demanding police reform, and they've essentially advocated strongly enough that the business community has realized that now they have to become the mature person in the room if the politicians aren't doing anything. Do you think that having two out of the three, the third being the political spheres, is enough to actually make some sort of change? Well, I think, first of all, I think that the business community, the more it gets engaged, I guarantee you, the more change you'll see for a couple of reasons. First of all, don't kid yourself. Business business has phenomenal influence over Congress. And historically, more influence over the Republican side of Congress than the Democratic side. So I think what the Business Roundtable is signaling is they see a sea change coming. It's true. It's here. There's something different about this moment. And maybe it's because um, of the pandemic. Maybe it's because of the economic depression. Maybe it's because people are just fed up with black people being killed in the streets by cops. And I don't know who knows. It's all it's all those things and then some. Okay. But when it all came to comes together, we've got this perfect storm. And up until now, police unions have been able to stop any meaningful reform from happening. In fact, in some places like New York City, they got the mayor basically, you know, afraid of. Them. And, and, and making terrible tactical mistakes that are really quite stupid because he was literally afraid of the police union. Well, those police unions who have been doing this for so long are now in a situation where I don't think they can hold back the tide. People are demanding equal justice under law. What a concept. They're demanding to not see any more black men suffocate with, and, and have the last six, eight, nine, or 10 or 11 minutes of their life be words, I can't breathe. And, and I think that there's a, there's a, a, finally a sense amongst the Caucasian community that the racism in this country, the institutional racism, is not just a black person problem. As we wrote recently in the Academy in one of our columns, this is a white solution here. We need a white solution. There was, the, what members, the prominent members of the black community are saying is, you've so disenfranchised us as black people, we don't have the power to fix racism, and it's gonna, it just, it's eating the heart out of our democracy. So you white people, you have to come up with the solution with us because you've got the power. And so the black, these black leaders are saying, so we want a white solution. We want white people to see it's in their interest to help us solve this scourge of, of, of police violence and uh, the, the danger uh, that it is to be particularly a black male growing up in America. But I would say it's, a, it's, it's also a significant danger to be a black woman growing up in America. Yeah, we, Definitely. You know, and, we, and we've got a long way to go on this. But, 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 but I wanted to just share this. So the Business Roundtable, taking this stand, as the Academy has been saying since 1986, business has to lead. The change is too big. It's happening too fast, we've been saying to people. So politics isn't good at keeping up with fast changes. Politics is better about consensus building over time. The business community is really good at changing fast or dying, because that's what you learn in the marketplace. Change quick or die. Well, with that in mind, I had to comment this starting out today. Watch for more action from the Business Roundtable. Watch for more action from people like uh, Larry Fink, who's now written two letters in a row, January 2019 and January 2020, uh, on behalf of BlackRock, one of the largest institutional investors in the world, basically saying, we get it. It's a whole new game. And we're going to have to fix all these problems that we've been blind to up until now. Whether we created them or not, we got to go fix them because the, the boys in Washington are just botching it at every turn. I think there's also a political angle to this I just want to touch on briefly so people can watch it. 
what I'm seeing is a, a crack in the Republican business wall uh, supporting the current administration. And that's kind of interesting because up until now, uh, the belief has been, look, we're getting the tax, we're getting the tax breaks we want. We're getting the elimination of regulation. And for a lot of companies, that's like an open field day, fossil fuel companies, for example. We're getting supported with, in effect, two and a half trillion dollars worth of corporate giveaways. And they're so corrupt, we don't even know where they went because Mutant won't tell us how much you <laughs> gave to who for what. I, I mean, there's, there's one trucking company alone. Is it, This has got to be the piece de resistance. A trucking company um, that basically moves stuff around for the Pentagon. Um, I think it's called YRC Trucking and there, they, they, uh, the United States gave these guys for one third of their stock. Yeah, this is YRC. They gave them more money in loans. The entire company was worth seventy million, and for thirty percent of the company, I think the Treasury gave them seven hundred million. Seven hundred million, and they got thirty percent of a company that was worth seventy million before they did it. That's good some scary math. Well, that's come on. That's 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 corruption. That's what that is. It's pure and simple. It's corruption. But anyway, uh, so I want to be really proud of the business roundtable because that doesn't represent the business community in total. These statements it represents the forward edge of the business community. These are the smartest people in the business world because they run the biggest companies. They're the most politically sophisticated because you don't get to be at the top of a big company unless you're politically sophisticated. So these the business roundtable taking this position means there is a sea change. The business community is now stepping up and they're going, you know what? We better step into this. And we're not, they're not going to wait till November to find out how this goes down. They're starting to re, re, re assess the situation. I think they're, the current thinking in Wall Street is that they've gotten as much as they're ever going to get out of Trump. Um, no matter who wins or loses in November, um, the market's going to go down dramatically if it can stay up that long. And most people don't think it can. Uh, there's no, art, there's no reason it's just at these artificial highs. Um, you have people as famous as Ray Dalio saying so. I mean, this is not a small matter. I mean, but I'll get back to Dalio too in a second. So, so for, I want to start with that business practice. Okay. Now, the second thing I want to talk about, also a great business signal. We have been plagued in this country by the way that Facebook, to a lesser extent, other social media platforms, but Facebook in particular, has had a, done an egregious job of policing its content and has historically refused to stop selling ads stop making money, that is, off of Russian bots that destabilized us in the last election, who are trying to destabilize the the, the, the the electorate today, as we speak, that will continue to try and destabilize the electorate in the future. So Russia's making no plans to leave the game, and they are using bots and Facebook as a, as a platform to, to spread dissension, confusion, and, and separation amongst the American people because their candidate, Donald Trump, who basically they picked, right, in 2016, Trump has helped them create more fractions within the United States. Trump has driven a wedge. He's a wedge player. He's a wedge issue guy. So what he's done is he's taken his 15 to 20 percent core base. He's been able to tack another 20 to 24 percent on top of that of people who like the tax deductions or like this or like that, packing the courts, whatever. But when you get to the end of that, that's only 40%. And what we're seeing is a weakness in, in Trump's numbers because increasingly people perceive that the pandemic is out of control. He's taken no steps to doing it. We're the only nation in the world of any modern nation that hasn't got a national plan to deal with it. The results speak for themselves. Uh, and we, along with Brazil, are the two basket cases in the world. Other countries that went through this two months ago, in Europe, for example, where they had to negotiate agreements between countries, not just between 
You know, so that's harder than doing like between countries is harder than doing between states. So we still have no national program. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be calling my congressman, a couple of congressmen, um, as soon as the holiday's over, to request that the House immediately set up a task force to provide guidance to the American public on how best to get out of this pandemic. Let me give you uh, some numbers, but first let me finish the Facebook comment. The Facebook comment is, as a result of Facebook failing to do its job to police hate speech, to police lies, to fact check anything that politicians, particularly Trump, puts out, even though they know the man's guilty of 20,000 lies, because Facebook has been unwilling to do that, I believe their motive is pure money, greed. They want to sell lots and lots of ads. That's how Zuckerberg evaluates his success. Well, we have a boycott going on. It started yesterday. And the boycott is uh, some of the, in fact, I think now there's over a hundred and 240 companies have joined this boycott. Listen, listen to some of these names. It, it's being led by Microsoft, the North Face, Pfizer, Levi Strauss, Eddie Bauer, Hershey, Honda, uh, Magnolia Pictures, the North Face, Patagonia, Patreon, Verizon, SAP, just to name a few. And of course, Starbucks is the most prominent of them. And um, Microsoft. Well, these together, all these, all these companies I'm listening to, these 240 companies, represent about 60% of Facebook's business. And although Zuckerberg's pretending like he's not getting hurt, we've been tracking it. He's getting really hurt. His rate structure is off by about 60% right now. So, um, and he's pretending like he's not going to change, and then you can't put pressure on me. You're just advertisers. That's bunk. I hope the boycott continues, and I hope they force Facebook to do the responsible thing. Why is this story so important? Because it's another example of business stepping up and going, you know what? The government couldn't handle it. This is too destabilizing to society. We can't have this fractious stuff happening if we're going to preserve the national market. So business is getting used to the idea. It's got to take these actions to produce a domestic economy. And I think it's also prescient on the, on the side of business because while this is currently about Trump, it's not going to stop with Trump. I mean, no. Russia is not going to stop interfering with our elections. And Trump stands for something now beyond corruption. You know, he stands for division in our country. He stands for a method of of running for president that's, you know, very similar to a demagogue. Uh, so, you know, getting rid of these ads um, and, and having these, these businesses start the boycotts is very representative of getting the U.S. on the right track and making sure that Trump doesn't become the future, I suppose. Well, I, I mean... It's not, I don't, no one's trying to say to, to Facebook that they want to monitor the ads Facebook runs. They're saying Facebook needs to monitor the ads. In other words, Facebook has the capacity to know when a Russian bot or 15,000, as was recently disclosed, 15,000 Russian bots are coming at them. They absolutely have that capacity. They actually, they know when they're getting paid in rubles instantly. Right. Okay. I mean, come on. Facebook is an extraordinarily technologically sophisticated company. That's why it's so rich. Well, to plead, gee, we don't know what we're going to, you know, how would we do this? Well, Twitter's figured it out, and other platforms are figuring it out. And the answer is you cannot permit hate speech to go unchecked. A good reason why there's been so much violence in the recent uh, demonstrations, it's now clearly proven, and there was a report that was just released from one of the intelligence committees, that most of the violence is coming from right-wing extremist groups. Uh, Boogaloo, who are looking for another civil war. And those are the guys who wear the Hawaiian shirts and carry the AK-47s and show up everywhere. And apparently a lot of the violence has been triggered by them. And they are, they're communicating to each other how to encourage violent episodes through Facebook. 
So Facebook has to take the responsibility, or the and the government's been unwilling to do so. And as you know, Zuckerberg has had private dinners three occasions with the president. I didn't realize that. So it's not like he doesn't know Trump. And it's not like Trump isn't getting what he wants, because as you know, Trump uses Facebook as one of his primary means of communication, that and Twitter. So um, Zuckerberg, in an attempt to curry favor with, favor with Trump, has reduced his morality to that of an alley cat and has abandoned his responsibility to the public to fact check stuff that's really divisive, potentially potentially racist and likely sponsored by Russians in, in part. So the, his, that his that his customers basically his, his the companies he depends on for revenue and these are this is gold chip names right when you're talking Microsoft and Starbucks and Hershey's you're talking blue chip names Honda they're saying we won't play with you if you're going to play dirty Zuckerberg and Zuckerberg said well you can't force but the, with the word I hear from my friends in Silicon Valley Zuckerberg's only thing he's doing right now is working the phones for advertisers. He's trying to stop the boycott, and he's not going to get it stopped. And what he's already floated was a series of ideas which were so weak, they were rejected out of hand. Now, the boycott itself, you recall, is headed up technically by the ADL, uh, Anti-Defamation League. And it's also headed up by, uh, I believe, the NAACP is very involved in it, and I think the color of change is involved in it. So there are three good political groups on the front end of the boycott, but the power of the boycott is business. So see how this is now starting to, where business is starting to go, okay, we can't wait for the politicians any longer. we got to get in this game, or they're going to break it so bad, even we can't fix it when it's done. And that's the point we're getting to. That's why business is stepping up. Now, I want to contrast those two positive business stories, uh, meaning Business Roundtable and Facebook, with what's happened to Bayer, the German company. Now, Bayer, despite years of litigation that they knew about, despite Thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of information saying that glyophosphate is a cancerous, toxic chemical that should never be allowed to come in contact with humans ever anywhere. They bought Monsanto that makes glyophosphate, and they paid a pretty penny for it. They bought it at the, at the top of the market. Well, they just agreed this week to, take, to pay $10.9 billion. I'm so delighted they're getting this. It's a serious amount of money, even for Bayer. $10.9 billion to settle most of the lawsuits, not even all of them. Wow. So what Bayer did is because by, by saying, well, who cares about these environmentalists? You know, blow it off. We, we, we like, we, we like the, the fit of their company and our company. We'll buy Monsanto. And, you know, this, this environmental thing will go away. It is going, if they don't get it fixed, and they've been trying now since they bought Monsanto, it could pull Bay, Bayer down, which is over a 100-year-old company that started with a single aspirin, Bayer Chemical. Yeah, Bayer Aspirin. That's where it started. So anyway, the point of my story is that's they're getting what they deserve because they weren't willing to be corporately responsible. They weren't willing to say, you know, before we buy this company, should we investigate? Is there seriously a carcinogenic issue here? Is there a toxicity issue here? Uh, has Monsanto been telling us the truth, or should we be looking independently at these lawsuits? Should we be looking at why the why the environmental groups have been saying what they've been saying for the last fifteen years about Roundup, as an example, which is the brand name for glyphosate, one of the brand names. Okay, so I just wanted to throw that out to you so that we'd have that as, as a, a backdrop. So businesses on both sides of the avenue right now. Let me give it to the next story, though. I want to go next to the pandemic. You can't have this many people be infected and this people, many people die without having it be one of our lead stories. Uh, as we sit here today, this is being recorded on July 4th. Happy 4th of July, everyone. And on July 4th, as of today, 132,208 people have died in the United States of America. Let me repeat that. 132,208 have died in the United States of America. 
we anticipate that that number will cross 135,000 within the next three days. Especially with all the parties that everyone's going to have. For the well, that's that'll be 10 days from now. That's right. when it's really okay. And the other statistic I wanted to cover people is over 55,000 new cases yesterday alone. So it's a new record. So in New York, when it was the epicenter of the world, was not doing more than 36, 38,000 cases. So we're now beating our own records. I think that was like the sixth record we broke in a row for the most cases in a day. But we're now up to over 55,000 cases a day. And Dr. Fauci, God bless him, was telling the truth the other day. And he said to a group in London, I think it's, it's we're headed towards 100,000. So if we are headed towards 100,000 infections per day, and by the way, we are doing better with, with um, mortality. I just want to put a shine, a good light on that. Uh, mortality is coming down. There are two reasons for this. Number one, it's not that the virus is any less deadly. It's that so many more of the infections are young people, and they don't die as quickly as older people when they get infected. So you're getting old, younger people who go to parties who don't have the same preconditions as older people or diabetic people or, or whatever. So that's one thing that's helping the death rate. The other thing that's helping the death rate, quite a bit, actually, our medical practitioners are learning how to deal with it differently. Uh, we're learning um, ways to avoid having to intubate as the only fallback once people are really in, in a bad way. So, for example, in Houston, uh, just last week they announced a new kit that they have started. It costs only $100 a day to administer. It's pretty cheap, considering what an, e what an ICU bed costs. Right. For 100 bucks, they give them a there's a cocktail of vitamins, steroids, anti-inflammatory, and something like rendisivir that, that, that are given as a cocktail daily. And they're noticing that it's taking the, the mortality down dramatically. I mean, dramatically. When they report out, they think this, when the, when the studies are done, they think, and they just announced they're doing it. It's, it's just in Houston. They're the first hospital to figure out what the, what, what the cocktail should be. That hospital is now doing, collecting data. They anticipate that that data will show a dramatic decrease in mortality, meaning as much as probably 90% for young people. Wow. And probably 50, 60% for older people. Uh, hard to say on older people because it gets very, depending on the preconditions and how, in your age, it, it gets pretty tough. Okay. So that is an important point to know because that pandemic is driving everything else. When I say it's driving everything else, let's take the global statistics. Globally, uh, we have had, um, well, in the United States, this is a number that people should be watching for. Before Monday, before this weekend is over, we will have over 3 million infections. In the United States, we're at two million nine right now. So at fifty thousand a day, do the math. Two days, <laughs> we're at three million. That's a lot of infections. Globally, we're, globally we're at nine million, nine point one to be exact. So with one hundred thirty-two thousand people dead in the United States and two point nine, soon to be three million uh, cases of infection, we have an out of control pandemic. And as we have said on the show repeatedly, you cannot fix the economy unless you fix the health crisis first, the pandemic. So that's what's happening. The economy is going to start closing down again. For And the Republicans, as I've said last week, are going to be forced, whether they like it or not, to inject another trillion dollars by the end of July when the first subsidy payments die out, or that you'll have people wandering in the streets, uh, literally dying of hunger, because there, there's no money to support them if the government cuts them off. And we should, and at some point, we could do a whole show just talking about how much better the European system is than the American system for how they deal with this. Not only the healthcare system, but how they, they deal with uh, passing out money and, and how uh, and basically, particularly in Germany, what they do is they take over the payment of salaries 
everybody stays employed. And it's a simpler system. It doesn't require unemployment offices to be overrun. It's just, just, it, it, it creates a far more efficient mechanism with less overhead expense, and you're getting the same result. But the U.S. doesn't, this administration doesn't learn. It didn't learn from how other countries, how Cuomo stopped the spread of this drastic infection in New York. They weren't willing to replicate that. They didn't support it at the federal level. And uh, they didn't bother following the examples of those countries in Europe, most all of them, who are far ahead of, in fact, all of every country in Europe is ahead of us now, dramatically ahead of us, and reopening successfully. And once you get the, once you get the number of cases down to a reasonable number, then with contact tracing, you can actually squelch this thing. You can actually put a bottle, like they have in New Zealand and several other places, I think Singapore, I think uh, probably Taiwan, uh, I suspect South Korea and Japan. Yes, South Korea has been doing very well. Yeah, and Japan too. So, And by the way, notice all the places I just said are ones that w- where wearing a mask, it comes naturally, uh, with the exception of New Zealand. And New Zealand, uh, they were just incredibly strong how they did it. So back to where we were. I, I want to just, uh, we're going to run out of time, so I just got to give you some statistics. In the midst of all this gloom and doom, the International Monetary Fund just said, they see global GDP, so the total amount of goods and services transacted this year, will fall by 4.9% globally. I think that's a wishful idea. I think it's going to be more than 4.9% because I think the deceleration is now picking up. They re- the, the administration released a number from the Bureau of Labor Statistics this week on the unemployment rate, and they claimed it was 11.1%. In the same, in the press release directly following it by minutes, they said, oops, we're at least 1% or more off because we're having some statistical errors. We know it's at least 1% or more higher. Yeah, I do too. It's like about <laughs> 2 to 3% higher, actually. And, and I can tell you a couple of reasons for it. They don't count furloughed people who are getting unemployment as unemployed. Now, it used to be you would count everybody who was getting unemployment as unemployed. But the, they came up with this um, goofy idea in the Trump administration that if you're furloughed, well, you're going to get your job back. So you're not really unemployed. You're just temporarily unemployed, not really unemployed, unemployed. But you are getting unemployment insurance. The other thing they've done that's really bad is they've, they, they, they've, they've fudged on some basic numbers on how they collect data. And that's shaved another thing or two. But, you know, if you step back, you go, okay, by the best assessment, there are 15 million jobs less today than there was in February. That's the best assessment. Worst assessment, it's actually, the number's actually higher and they're not collecting the numbers accurately. Either way, you've got an economy that will go into free fall if the Republicans don't approve at least one more $1 trillion going directly to people, cities, and states. The Republican Senate is saying, oh, no, we're not going to pass any bills. The heck with you, you, you Democrats in the House. We're not, not going to cooperate. And they'll keep saying that up until the point where they actually have to, and they will have to by the end of July, or they're committing political suicide. Uh, now, what does this all mean for the stock market? First of all, we might be doing a special show, folks on just day trading. We may be doing a show, just a special on on what to know and what to be afraid of. And I'm particularly interested in this this, this platform, Robinhood, which um, uh, I think is, a, is potentially dangerous because so many young people are using it, thinking day trading is a sure way to get rich. And the old saying, the market is, what goes up must come down. <laughs> it does. And if you're a day trader, the chances of you making money are one in 10 on a good day, one in 100 on a normal day. So we'll do a show on that as to why. What are the pitfalls of data? Why are the, how do you know how the, the deck is stacked against you and what can you do about it? Okay. Having said that, it's clear to me, if you look at the statistics, and we always like to look one year back on the show. So if you look back one year, you'll see that oil is down by 33%. And there is no great coming 
back for oil. I just read a story this morning in the New York Times um, that the massive wind project on the south shore of England is going forward even in the pandemic. And each of the turbines powers 600,000 homes. I mean, it, wow. it, it, it's just an enormous, it, it, it's huge turbines, right? That are sitting there 25 miles offshore. I think it's the biggest uh, offshore project done by a Spanish company, by the way, who also has fired up the one they've got in Spain, which is working for them beautifully. Well, so re so renewable energy is not going away. In fact, it's been building while coal, while oil has been crashing and coal's been, coal's been disappearing. So with nuclear a non-starter, and it is, with oil on the rocks and with the likelihood of a coal not making any rebound at all, it stands to reason that you are looking at a situation where you have significant long-term shifts in the way we produce energy and what we charge for it. Now, if so, oil down 33%, I tell you, it's going to go down some more. It's not going to, it's not going to stop there. You're going to see the Dow Jones, if you go back a year, it's down 4% from a year ago. And if you look at my favorite, gold, well, by golly, it's up 25% from a year ago. So would you rather have a negative 4% in the market or a positive 25% in gold, knowing gold is liquid? And then on top of that, I pick up the, the paper and I see that Ray Dalio, who I consider the, one of the smartest investors in the world, he said, quote, the capital markets are not free markets allocating resources in the traditional ways, close quote. That means it's rigged. That's, that's, that's Wall Street talk for the market's rigged. And he goes on to point out that the Fed is boosting asset prices and valuation metrics don't apply anymore because of the way the Fed's handling it. Well, um, that means the U.S. dollar is at greater risk. And guess what gold is priced in? U.S. dollars. If the U.S. dollar were to take a hit, which it will eventually, that'll jump the price of gold even higher. So when people ask me, gee, is it safe to buy gold when we're up at 17.74 an ounce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't 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 even bother asking that question again until we get to two thousand an ounce. And at that point, I'll look at where the next stop is. But it's not between here and two thousand. We're going over two thousand. And it's just a question of how soon and when. And and that that's a function of how things are manipulated. I also want to touch on the um, the U.S. GDP. My guess is that we will have a five percent decrease or more in the U.S. GDP. I think that would be fortunate if we get away with that. And with that, I want to turn to a few global signposts. Um, I was fascinated to see power struggle going on in Venezuela, and the way the uh, Bank of England decided to decline shipping Venezuela its gold. So Venezuela stashed about $1.8 billion worth of gold, literally in gold bars, in the Bank of England vaults. A lot of countries do that because they have greater safety and you can get at it. Well, the Bank of England concluded that Maduro was no longer the legitimate president of Venezuela, and so they wouldn't release the gold to him. That's got to hurt when his, when, his, when his whole country was, you know, surviving on the price of oil, which is in the tank. So uh, I could go on a few more minutes on a couple other things that, that I think are really interesting. But I, the one I want to just talk about for a moment is that the Italian authorities intercepted 1 billion euros worth of amphetamines this week. What's interesting, it's the largest shipment ever intercepted on its coast. And the authorities who got it believe that it, it was hidden in large cylinders, by the way. It was manufactured in Islamic Syria meaning ISIS. They're getting ready to go back to war. They need money. What's the best way to get money? As they learned in Afghanistan, opium and poppies. In Syria, it looks like they're going for amphetamines. But the idea of using drugs to fund bloodshed or to fund bloodshed is um, quite apparently going on now in, in Syria. And um, I believe that portends an increase in violence in the Middle East and you're already seeing that with Afghanistan. So uh, I want to just, I guess we only have time for one more thing. I want to talk about the infrastructure bill that just passed the House. 
I'm very excited about it. I intend to compliment uh, Congressman Salud Carbajal, who is one of my dear friends, and, and, and actually the congressman whose district I sit. Uh, and I'm really glad they're, they're looking at the size of this. It looks like a $1.5 billion infrastructure bill over a 10-year timeline. This would be in addition to the trillion I'm talking about that will come out for CARES relief. Uh, and I think that's a really, really important statistics that people need to know. We are doing very, very well with what the Democrats are proposing. The problem we have is that the Republicans are blocking. We are going to need all that infrastructure spending and more to get out of the economic hole we're digging once the pandemic is behind us. And I just am going to leave, I guess I'll leave with this thought. Afghanistan, as we know, it's now clear the president was informed probably as early as 2019, by the way, clearly in writing by February 27th of 2020, uh, that the Russians were in fact putting bounties on American heads, no matter how Trump wants to spin it. He is the commander in chief when he was informed that Russia was putting a bounty to kill Americans should have immediately taken action, not rewarded Putin basically in the same phone call with an invitation to what was the G7 meeting. So uh, Trump clearly is a, is, a, is a bought man. He's a made man, as they say in the mob. Uh, and, and, and Putin is his capo, and we all know it. And everything that we see just confirms that. I don't think there's any reasonable doubt now that Putin basically controls Trump. Why or how, I think, has to do more when it's not just the P-tapes, from Moscow, although I'm sure he's got him. I think it's really that uh, Trump knows that Putin knows that he's been money laundering for over a decade. Serious, felonious money laundering before he got to be president. So I don't think he can break with Putin if he wants to. So he's being blackmailed, in effect. And he's holding America as hostage. So what we've learned from the administration is not only are they capable, not only was Trump capable of going bankrupt six times himself, which is a record. I don't know anybody who succeeded at that. Four of them were full liquidations. Two were reorganizations. Six times he hit the wall, four of them, there was nothing left but, but, you know, skid marks. Two of them, they did reorg. And, you know, the guy, it was clear to me, would probably bank, going to bankrupt America because the kind of thinking that makes you go bankrupt six times means you don't understand where the limit line is. So I saw that coming way off, and I, I've been talking about it on the show a lot. What I didn't see coming was his willingness to kill as many Americans in the pursuit of his own reelection, because it's the only explanation you can give for his failure to provide any governmental policy, in fact, negative policy, to, to, to intentionally confuse people, tell them to not wear face masks, tell them that we're not going to observe social distancing. Trump is feeding the flames of that toxic approach and feeding the flames of racism. And that comment about Trump is not meant to be politically inflammatory. What it's really meant to do is to draw attention to the fact that the business community has to help bring this thing under control. They know it. I'm glad that they know it, because if they know it, they can take action, and they are. With that, I'll turn this back to Benjamin. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'm looking forward to uh, another chat next week. So I just want to mention before we end that if anyone wants to reach out to us, the email address is info at worldbusiness.org for any questions or comments. And please remember to like us or give us a five-star rating or leave us a comment, however you're watching, whether that's on the Academy site or on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Blog Talk, or Stitcher. We really enjoy hearing from you, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.